0: In the late 1960s, rumors started circulating in the intelligence communities of the West that the Soviets were doing some serious research into so-called psychic phenomena, specifically telekinesis, the ability to move physical objects with one's mind, telepathy, the ability to discern the contents of another person's mind, and clairvoyance, the ability to enter a trance state and, quote, see the future, bringing back accurate intelligence of future events. Each of these skills, if developed, would be very useful in the realm of espionage. However, the field of psychic abilities was pretty wide open, and and other things were also being looked into. From back in the heady days of 19th century occultism, there had been the notion that humans possess an astral body, an incorporeal version of themselves that, with the proper training, one could control. This would mean you could detach your astral body, float through the astral plane, whatever that is, and wind up in a different physical location, able to see and hear everything that was going on, but undetected by those present. Someone who could control their astral body would be the perfect spy. The Nazis had done some poking around in this realm, which fit in perfectly with their weird quasi-occult political religion. And after the war, the USSR did a little work in this arena as well. Though it seemed to go nowhere, they put it about that they were still seriously researching the astral plane. Well, hell's bells. If them Ruskies was looking into this stuff, then we should too. The folks over at SRI, the Stanford Research Institute, already had a few psychic projects going and were happy to get some funding to expand their inquiries. Physicist Russell Targ joined them in 1972, as did electrical engineer Harold E. Putoff, who would later go on to co-found the To the Stars Academy with Tom DeLonge, which is all focused on UAP disclosure. Together, they started looking into such things, studying claims of psychic abilities in various individuals. This is the story of what would come to be known as Project Stargate, the U.S. military's remote viewing program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conspiracy Clearinghouse. Peekaboo! Peek-a-boo. Project, Project Stargate. Stargate. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast. And if you like what we do, you can donate via our Buy Me a Coffee page. You can also review the podcast wherever you listen to it and on IMDb.
1: You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber, filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Conspiracy Clearinghouse, the podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true.
0: Get Get ready. ready. That was the number six song for the year 1970 by Detroit r and soul band Rare Earth. It all started in 1970 around the time a book was published with the title Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain by Sheila Ostrander who would go on to write more books about psychic quote discoveries a book on how to use astrology for birth control and a quote, super learning course that promised to increase your memory's capacity and speed quote, two to five times probably from this book, but also from spies in Eastern Europe, American intelligence services got wind of rumors that the Soviets had something called Project Eisen, which conducted what they called psychotronic research, specifically into how psychically enhanced agents might be able to remotely influence animals and people. Supposedly, they were spending around 60 million rubles a year, about $85 million at the time, equivalent to $670 million in today's money. It would later come out that this was almost certainly part of a disinformation campaign on the part of the Soviets designed to waste American time and resources chasing nonsense, but in 1970, the Yanks did not know this. The CIA started a project called SCANATE, all caps, which was a shortening of SCAN by COORDINATE. It was run under the auspices of the U.S. Army Intelligence and Security Command, INSCOM. Two years later, in 1972, two physicists started doing remote viewing experiments at the Stanford Research Institute. These were Russell Targ and Harold Putoff, who started testing people who claimed that they had psychic abilities. One of their subjects was a young man born in Tel Aviv named Yuri Geller, a former stage magician who would go on to become famous for supposedly being able to bend spoons with his mind a demonstration of telekinesis or the ability to move and manipulate objects at a distance. He was, of course, a fraud, but Targ and Puthoff were taken in by his tricks and promoted him as the real deal. Geller and similar successes got the two physicists more funding and also got them noticed by the Department of Defense and the Director of Behavioral Research for ARPA, which was a secret projects group started in 1958, asked a psychology professor at the University of Oregon, one Ray Hyman, to go to Stanford and check out what was going on there, especially with this Uri Geller fellow. Was it legit? Hyman poked around and concluded that Geller was a, quote, complete fraud and that the SRI research was bunkum. Funding was pulled, so Targ and Puthoff, who really thought they were legitimately onto something real, started looking about for private funding sources. And part of this was a publicity tour of Geller, who went around demonstrating his amazing spoon bending. Unfortunately, Geller had a disastrous appearance on The Tonight Show in 1973 when he was unable to bend a spoon on live TV. Johnny Carson, the host and himself an amateur magician, had worked with James Randi, who was a professional magician and a mystical debunker. They chose spoons without Geller's knowledge ahead of time and gave them to him to bend. See, the way the bending trick is actually done on stage is by using misdirection while the magician or psychic or whatever bends the spoon with their thumb. The spoon has been prepared earlier backstage by being bent back and forth several times in order to weaken the material in a narrow area, so it's easy to promote the illusion on stage. But Carson and Randy gave Geller spoons that had not been pre-worked, and so he failed. On the one hand, no pun intended, Geller had indeed failed, and so became much less effective as a fundraiser. On the other hand, many people suddenly heard about this amazing ability to bend tableware using only directed brainwaves, and a massive interest in all things psychic and occult was kindled to the 1970s American cultural zeitgeist and more people started participating in the SRI experiments, wondering if maybe they had the right stuff. <laughs> Gypsies, Gypsies, tramps, tramps and, thieves. and thieves! A pop folk hit by Cher. Research quickly moved on to remote viewing, which seemed to hold the most promise and also might lose some, some purse strings if successful. After all, the military would hardly be interested in a battalion of spoonbenders, one would think. Another of their star pupils was Pat Price, a former police officer from Burbank, California. He'd met Putoff at a Scientology gathering because they were Scientologists, along with another Scientologist and ScanA participant, a man named Ingo Swan. Two ends. The CIA would supply Price with maps and photos of soviet facilities and supposedly he could get information about what was happening at those places he would sometimes sketch things he saw like construction cranes and then later the cia would find construction cranes in or around that area in surveillance photos there were also rumors floating around that he'd been instrumental in locating a downed Soviet bomber in Africa, and also K-129, a Soviet submarine that had sunk back in 1968, one of four mysterious subsinkings that year, one American, one Israeli, one French, and this one, the Soviet craft. Project Azorian was the name of the CIA-led attempt to recover the sub's tech undercover of a manganese nodule mining operation. This would go on to become one of the most expensive projects of the entire Cold War, and supposedly, Price was psychically involved in this. Mr. Price died suddenly of a heart attack in 1975. As previously mentioned, there's Ingo Swan, an operating Thetan-level Scientologist, which means he is in total spiritual freedom and has control over matter, energy, space, and time. And he is the man sometimes credited with coining the term remote viewing. In 1972, Swan had been part of an out-of-body experiment in which he supposedly accurately described objects on a high shelf far above his head. Later that year, he joined the gang at SRI and Scanate, where the self-professed, quote, consciousness researcher was very active in their efforts, developing several new protocols and experimental situations, including the Coordinated Remote Viewing Tests, known as CRVs. Swan swore that his abilities freaked out quite a few observers and that he was always in control of every experiment he participated in because he was so darn advanced in stuff. Then, on April 27, 1973, he conducted a remote viewing session of the planet Jupiter, as well as a few of its moons. During the 20-minute session, he saw crystals glittering in Jupiter's atmosphere, which he thought were kind of like Saturn's rings, but in the clouds. Later, Voyager would fly by the gas giant and observe actual rings like Saturn's, but also frozen ammonia crystals in Jupiter's atmosphere. Was Swan just lucky with his guesses, or did he really, quote, see the gas giant? Some folks at Scan-8 seemed to think that this was a win. But Swan had also seen mountain ranges under the clouds and sand dune-type features made of crystals, neither of which Jupiter has, so there's that. At least, that's what he later said, though a report by Targ Putov Puthoff doesn't mention mountain ranges or sand dunes, so there's that. Between 1972 and 1979, Swan also worked on 25 criminal cases. Only three of these had any kind of success. Swan was also a big proponent of UFO theories and in 1998 wrote that he had also worked with a super secret but unnamed government agency using his remote viewing capabilities to spy on alien bases on the moon. He also recounted an encounter with a sexy female alien bio-android who was wearing not much clothing in a supermarket in Los Angeles. He then expanded this claim to say that aliens use these bio-androids to infiltrate human society and that they know that their only real opposition here on Earth are people like him who have pronounced psychic abilities. He said he also saw with his own eyes a UFO suck all the water out of a lake somewhere in the northern latitudes, probably Alaska, and also kill a bunch of forest animals with silent beams of light. He and his group, he says, were also attacked and suffered minor injuries. Swan was certainly a good storyteller, if nothing else. He died in New York City in 2013 at the age of 79. Joseph McMonigle, a former Army Chief Warrant Officer, which is a rank above Sergeant but below Lieutenant, joined the military to get away from an abusive family household. It was during his terrible childhood that he learned to focus his innate psychic abilities. During his military career, he was assigned to Army Intelligence after he suffered multiple injuries in a helicopter crash, where the word of his talents reached the group at Stanford who recruited him. Supposedly, he used remote viewing techniques to find lost aircraft, subterranean facilities, and gather other intelligence. His accuracy was nearly unsurpassed, and he would be used during the Iranian hostage situation to see what was going on in that embassy, to learn about a new Soviet typhoon class of submarine, spy on Chinese nuclear facilities, and keep tabs on Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. He was also part of a remote viewing effort to locate U.S. Army Brigadier General James Dozier after he'd been kidnapped by an Italian terrorist group called the Red Brigades in 1981. This kicked off the largest manhunt in Italian history and no stone was left unturned, including psychic ones. General Dozier was rescued six weeks later in Padua, and no psychics were involved in his discovery. But McMoneagle knew he was good, and so did the researchers he'd been working with. He was so good, in fact, that he was able to break the bonds of time, being able to see several months into the future, and even further. Some of the things he predicted that would take place between 2002 and 2006 were passage of a bill that allowed all American teenagers to work, a vaccine for AIDS, a movement to eliminate television entirely, a fad of getting full-body tattoos, which would replace clothing even in public spaces, and a new religion that eschewed Christian trappings and instead focused on science and a scientific hunt for proof of the human soul. Needless to say, we now know that none of these took place, but back in the day, they didn't know that this was all nonsense. Plenty of people were convinced of his abilities. Police in New York, Washington, Chicago, and San Francisco enlisted his help in missing persons cases. Dean Radin, who used to be a researcher for Princeton and Bell Labs, but then went to work for the Consciousness Research Laboratory at the University of Nevada, worked closely with McMonagle on building a machine that would allow users to see the future as well as the past. And somewhere in all of this, McMonigles also started talking about UFOs, out-of-body experiences, and saying that he knew for sure that humans had been created in a lab by aliens, but not from primates, but sea otter-like creatures. Now, all this sounds pretty nutty, and yet his success or hit rate was almost always above statistical chance probabilities, or so the reports and some supporters said. Edwin May even used the word miracle when talking about McMonagle, McMonagle is still alive as of this recording. He has appeared on television a number of times and written four books. <laughs> David Morehouse was also an Army officer who joined the program in the early 80s. According to him, he was the most successful remote viewer ever, something which both Joseph McMonagle and Ingo Swan also claimed for themselves. He was involved with literally hundreds of remote viewing sessions, ferreting out double agents and spies, once finding a Soviet jet carrying a nuke that had crashed. He helped develop further training protocols and even wrote remote viewing the complete user's manual for coordinated remote viewing which yes is available on amazon in the year 2000 he also wrote psychic warrior colon, inside the cia stargate program space colon space the true story of a soldier's espionage and awakening which should tell you a lot right there any title that has two colons in it is got to be good stuff He's also gone on to work for the Monroe Institute, offering personal development courses that combine remote viewing and guided out-of-body experiences with EEG monitoring, their special Hemisync audio technology, and their proprietary Mind Mirror Brainwaves Measuring System. An in-house residential retreat at the Virginia campus for five days and six nights is only two thousand two hundred and ninety-five dollars. And if that sounds like a scam, that's because It is Fly Fly Like like an eagle. Eagle, probably the best song ever recorded by the Steve Miller Band. Nuclear physicist and research scientist with more than a passing interest in parapsychology, Edwin C. May, who was briefly mentioned earlier, joined up with the gang at Stanford in 1975 on a part-time basis, but he was impressed enough with what was going on that he joined them full-time the following year. Ten years later, he would become the project's director and principal researcher. May kept a pretty tight hold on everything, from what experiments would be conducted to transcripts of the sessions and even the identities of oversight groups. He was, in short, the man. He shepherded the project through several incarnations, all the way until it finally got shut down in 1995. May was born in Boston, but the family moved to Arizona when he was young. He later described himself as a, quote, Jewish-Hungarian cowboy who then morphed into a, quote, professional hippie after moving to San Francisco as a postdoc student in the late 60s. <laughs> Pretty typical story for people moving to San Francisco in the late 60s. The Bay Area environment was perfect for creating his offbeat blend of science and spiritualism, and he very much wanted to investigate psychic phenomena, but in a scientific setting. So when he started rubbing shoulders with the gang from Stanford, it seemed like a perfect fit, even though there were some serious reservations from peers about the work being done at SRI, including a review by two New Zealand psychologists of the very first study that they published that showed that remote viewing subjects had actually been fed a number of cues about the target that they were supposedly seeing, and so therefore the results could not seem to be duplicated anywhere else. But anyway, May found himself a home since what was being claimed there perfectly fit in with his personal belief system and he oversaw the reports generated by the Stanford group from then on. These reports sure seemed to hold promise, and the military started taking notice and passing funding their way. In 1977, the Gondola WISH program was set up by the Army Assistant Chief of Staff for Intelligence, ASCII, in the Systems Exploitation Detachment to investigate, exploit, and counter supposed parapsychology experiments being conducted in the Soviet bloc. In 1978, U.S. Army officials were impressed enough that they authorized the Grill Flame Program, moving everything to Fort Meade in Maryland, where the group was given two disused buildings that had spotty electricity and leaked. For completionists, those were buildings 2560 and 2561. Their new brief was to investigate paranormal phenomena that might have military applications. Under Edwin May, that mainly consisted of remote viewing activities. At Fort Meade, Major General Albert Stubblebine became extremely interested in Growflame. He firmly believed in the reality of psychic abilities and was also a big fan of Yuri Geller. In fact, he had once said that he specifically wanted an entire battalion of spoonbenders, no doubt assuming their abilities would extend beyond cutlery. There were also more tales of Soviet bloc programs, including a program investigating telepathy called Znaki, or signs, and another one that looked into teleporting objects and people just using the power of the human mind. Whether these were real programs or part of the USSR's ongoing disinformation efforts is still unclear, but Stubblebine and May certainly seemed to believe all this. In 1985, funding was discontinued for Grow Flame after the National Academy of Sciences National Research Council got wind of all this and started mocking it. But the military guys still thought, you know, there could be something to all this, partly because May's reports were so darned convincing. So now they just changed the name to Sunstreak and got funding this time from the DIA. In 1991, funding moved to SAIC, the Science Applications International Corporation, and yet May still maintained a firm grip on the reins, controlling 70% of all of the money and 85% of all data generated by the program that then once again went through another name change, and it is here that it became known as Project Stargate. Again, it has nothing to do with supposed stargates in Iraq that allow you to transport between different places in space, but about accessing the astral body to go to different places and, if you believe some of the participants in the programs, different times. In 1995, the CIA took over oversight of the new rechristened Project Stargate and asked the American Institutes for Research, or AIR, to assemble a report on what exactly this group had been up to for 25 years and what results they had. The two main people on the review board were Ray Hyman, who had written some pretty unkind things about Yuri Geller in a government report way back in the 70s, and Jessica Utz, who had co-authored papers with... Edwin May, the head of Stargate. Needless to say, her conclusion was that there was ample evidence of real psychic abilities in trainees, while Hyman said it was all, quote, vague, general, way off target. But AIR commissioned another report, this time headed by two of their own psychologists. That 185-page document found that, yes, while there did seem to be some hits outside of statistical norms... It was probably that these were the result of the subjects receiving far more background information than would normally be supplied. The methodologies employed were suspect, and the entire 25-year program had resulted in exactly zero actionable intelligence. The fact that none of Stargate's supposed results could be duplicated anywhere else also raised some red flags. So, the CIA yanked funding, and Project Stargate was shut down for good. Yet those involved insisted they really didn't have good results and their belief systems continued to strengthen and evolve just the same. Edwin May still insists to this day that some humans have latent psychic abilities. Major General Albert Stubblebein went on to become a spokesperson for pseudomedicine, claiming in 2009 that the national emergency declared about swine flu was a pretext for taking away people's freedoms, one of his many fake medical claims that he would trumpet until his death in 2017. His wife was also on board with the pseudo medical nonsense, saying Obama was setting up concentration camps and America had become a new Nazi Germany working with the WHO and the UN to sterilize people they deemed undesirable. To this day, of course, no one has made any claims that they have been sterilized or put into some kind of medical camp. So So be it, it, Jedi. Jedi. That's what the Emperor says with disdain to Luke Skywalker in Return of the Jedi. In 2017, the CIA published documents about Stargate online and the conspirosphere saw a rabid uptick in interest and wild claims about what had or had not gone on between 1970 and 1995. One of the rumors was about something supposedly started in 1984 called Project Jedi, yes, in a nod to Star Wars. Online notions about people being taught to use something like the Force, which is supposedly real, made the rounds and got mixed up with stuff from the real Project Stargate. And a lot of this entered public consciousness with John Ronson's 2004 nonfiction book, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which was a real book about U.S. military experiments in using psychic abilities, including supposedly trying to kill a goat by mentally willing its heart to stop, which was another one of the weird things they did at Project Stargate. And this was made into a feature film in 2009 with George Clooney, Jeff Bridges, Ewan McGregor, and Kevin Spacey. But the film has very little to do with the book. And in the movie, they're all not part of Project Stargate, but Project Jedi. And that is why a lot of people think Jedi and Stargate are the same thing. Plus, people already had Stargate in their heads, but this time as interdimensional portals built by ancient aliens called the Anunnaki, and how the Stargate TV shows and movies actually were trying to reveal the truth of all this, and that's why we invaded Iraq in 2003 to stop Saddam Hussein from opening a Stargate and bringing the Anunnaki back to Earth. This whole story is covered in one of our very earliest episodes. Link in the episode notes for this. So, if there was a project Jedi, surely it was something to do with psychic abilities and or alien technology, right? That's what the conspiracy people thought. Well, there was something called the Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure, which acronyms to Jedi, which was to supply the Department of Defense with advanced cloud computing capabilities. The contract was worth around 10 billion dollars and Microsoft, Amazon, Oracle and Google all threw their hats in the ring. Accusations that some in the approval process clearly favored Amazon, who's actually one of the largest cloud computing companies in the world, caused then-president Donald Trump to pause the tender since Trump was angry at Jeff Bezos for some stupid reason or another. Microsoft ended up getting the contract, but then Amazon said actually, according to what was submitted, they should have got the contract and Trump had given it to someone else because of personal reasons. And so the whole deal fell apart in June 2021. And yet, according to the Washington Post in a 1988 article titled The Pentagon's Twilight Zone, they say there was something called Project Jedi started back in 1984. Now, this was a short-lived effort to use Neurolinguistic Programming, or NLP, to teach recruits how to shoot pistols and other weapons. It was an experiment to see if there was a better, faster way to train people to accomplish various tasks. So they employed several experimental methods, one of which was that when marksmen were told to hum, Mary had a little lamb while aiming, they found that those shooters had significantly reduced performance. After this and other initial experiments, a training course was worked up with 23 recruits. A control group was trained in the traditional way, while the rest were given this new experimental Jedi training. It looked like the new way saw some marked improvements, but there were several problems with the results, like the lighting on the shooting ranges for the control group and the Jedi group was different, they didn't use the same shooting range for both groups, and the groups ultimately were too small to show anything significant anyway. But military folks are hard to get to change their minds, and after a few of the top brass were sure there was something to this, the next year they tried language training courses using methods taken from the Suggestopedia method, which favors a relaxed, attractive learning environment and an emphasis on guided imagery. While the trainees in the Suggestopedia group had an overall more positive experience than those learning languages in traditional ways, the end results were about the same. Another offshoot of the Jedi Marksman experiment was investigating endorphin levels in people who were involved in athletic pursuits. Maybe, some thought in the military, people could, through certain mental disciplines and training, actually control their own endorphin levels. This spawned the idea of creating a group of warrior monks called the First Earth Battalion, which is the main thrust of the Men Who Stare at Goats movie. Don't Don't Fear fear the the reaper. Reaper a song by Blue Oyster Colt from their album, Agents of Fortune. When talking about Project Stargate and its earlier incarnations, it would be remiss not to include Ed Dames. Ed was a paratrooper, then an intelligence officer, achieving the rank of major in the Army. He was in the first group of five students, trained in remote viewing by Ingo Swan back in the 70s at SRI. He got to level three, but then was removed from field training to be an analyst, which was the job he'd actually been hired to do in the first place. Dames rather famously had zero sense of humor. Once some co-workers told him that, during a winter session, a remote viewer had seen a man in a red suit flying over the North Pole in a slide being pulled by flying reindeer. Rather than getting the joke, dames thought that the viewer had seen that the Russians had launched a missile and was about to sound the alarm to the top brass when they explained to him that they were kidding. You have to understand, remote viewing is not really about viewing so much. An agent will see things, kind of like, elements from a dream, and then those things get interpreted or mapped to real-world things. This is one of the reasons that remote viewing has been viewed so skeptically by those who were tasked with evaluating it. An agent will say a bunch of impressionistic things, and then the handlers try and find a way to interpret it, sort of deciding what the person was, quote, really trying to say. Not unlike the writings of Nostradamus nearly impossible for actual predictions of future events but the vague weird wording can easily be interpreted after the fact to fit all kinds of events that have actually occurred so a man in a red suit red being the color of soviet russia flying over the north pole could very easily be missile attack to a man like ed dames after dames left the army he started up a company called SciTech. tech which claimed to have several accurate remote viewers on staff. He also worked with Harry Delighter of Light Productions, a company that made videos on various paranormal topics, notably Free Energy, The Race to Zero Point, which is popular among the Tartaria and Nikola Tesla fanboy crowd. They also made Opening to Angels, a how-to vid to help you discover your own personal guardian angel and communicate with the archangels that guard the Earth. But Dames tried to cheat Delighter out of profits, and Delighter ended up suing him. So then Dames had to shell out $435,000 and step down as president of SciTech. But then his wife just took over. He then founded a new company called the TRV Institute, which then became LearnRV.com. RV standing for Remote Viewing. Other lawsuits followed because he's a little bit of a scammer and he started peddling a sort of a tech-heavy notion of remote viewing promising all sorts of amazing abilities to people who want to pay out a few thousand dollars for one of his seminars. He also claims that he was one of the greatest of all the remote viewers at Stargate, even though he never finished the training, and that he was the head of the project, which he was not. Edwin May was. His abilities continued to grow, he said, enhanced now by his amazing technological augmentation techniques, and he has made several startling claims over the years. He said that Bill Clinton would be fatally struck by lightning on a golf course in 1998. That same year, a large cylindrical object filled with fungus spores would be released over the earth by aliens, killing millions. Africa would have all of its food supplies wiped out by a wheat fungus that would then hop over the Atlantic to the U.S. and wreak havoc there. Amelia Earhart's plane would finally be found. Science would prove the physical existence of Satan. Police would capture a group of Martians masquerading as humans, stealing bags of fertilizer. And somewhere between 2011 and 2013, a massive solar flare would hit the Earth, wiping out all human civilization. He called this the kill shot. Needless to say, when the kill shot didn't happen, he just said, oh, we got the years wrong, but it is going to happen just later. Then he revised his vision again, saying, all right, it's not a solar flare. It's the arrival of Planet X, the hypothetical hidden planet in our solar system, which will come into the inner solar system and then smash into the Earth. Also, he said, aliens are planning to wipe out humanity. Between solar flares, plotting aliens, and a hidden planet smashing into us, his frequent pronouncements about the end being nigh have earned him that nickname of Dr. Doom. Unsurprisingly, Dames has gone on to become a staple on things like Coast to Coast AM, always with a different but totally reliable prediction of Doom that then comes not to pass. He got something of a boost when fellow Hucksters who were playing the Project Pegasus con said that he was part of the super-secret Project Pegasus program, which involves using alien technology to teleport to secret bases on Mars. Uh, That whole thing was covered in a previous episode. He still promotes remote viewing for a hefty fee and has added all sort of exotic locations to his RV target list, claiming that he has remotely traveled to Mars, UFOs, nearby planets inhabited by alien-human hybrids, and the lost city of Atlantis. Subterranean Subterranean Homesick homesick Alien, alien. alien. a song by Radiohead on their album OK Computer about a guy who wants to be abducted by a UFO. So what a surprise, most of the people involved in this exotic new-agey paranormal secret government cover-up stuff turn out to be scam artists and liars who very much enjoy being the big fish in a small pond. And yet the United States is not the only country to have dabbled in the weird side of things when it comes to developing psychic spies. As previously mentioned, the Soviets were heavily into this stuff, though it seems like they cut this stuff off sometime in the 1950s because they had even less success than the Americans later would, and so most of that 60s and 70s chatter coming from behind the Iron Curtain was probably disinformation. Supposedly, though, the KGB did spearhead something called Project ISIS, which involved trying to find evidence of alien visitations in Egypt. Other people say, no, there was a Project ISIS, but it was about developing telepathy and telekinesis in both humans and animals. That is not something we need, a telepathic, telekinetic cat. And, of course, there are persistent rumors of programs similar to Project Stargate coming out of Israel, France, and the U.K., Britain's Ministry of Defense actually conducted a study in late 2001 that went into 2002 using psychics to achieve the, quote, acquisition and description by mental means of information blocked from ordinary perception, remote viewing, in other words. Their first test subject was brought into a room with a sealed envelope on a table. He was told to see, using his mind, what was inside the envelope. He stared at it for 10 minutes or so and then fell asleep. He startled awake and then went to the bathroom. Then he came back and stared at the table for a while. At the end of the experiment, he quickly drew a white tower with a pyramid top. Then he drew another tower and then another pyramid, kind of like with stepped sides like those found in Mexico. This is what he had seen. They then opened up the envelope to test. And inside was a picture of Mother Teresa. And yet the MOD guys running the session said they thought it was a success. After all, in the picture, Mother Teresa has a kind of triangular piece of clothing visible underneath the jacket she's wearing. Or maybe the triangles he was drawing was her face. Anyway, they determined that the subject had possibly, quote, accessed some of the features of the target. This sort of wishful thinking seems to be common among those tasked with making sure that these sorts of experiments were carried out correctly. Some who had been involved over the years in both the U.S. and the U.K., have mentioned how there was certainly a stigma associated with being part of these endeavors. So maybe only those who already believed in this sort of thing could be recruited in the first place to participate. Plus, when there's some kind of high-profile case, if remote viewing techniques could score a hit, well, that would really bolster its claims of efficacy and bring in more funding. Like maybe if there was something to stuff like this, maybe remote viewers could find Osama bin Laden or those WMDs that some people were so sure were in Iraq someplace. While there was a mixture of civilian and military personnel in the U.S. projects in the U.K., they often just took in anyone who walked in off the street who said that they had psychic abilities. These people were almost always either deluded or professional hucksters, but since the M.O.D. folks didn't travel in those circles, they just took them at face value. Why would you volunteer if you didn't really have psychic abilities? And since news of these sorts of government-funded programs inevitably leaked out into the public sphere, other sham artists heard about them and tried to jump right on that bandwagon, looking to part the punters from their money. In this case, the suckers are the government. Now, neither the U.S. nor the U.K. actually spent that much money looking into this stuff, but they didn't spend nothing. Estimates for the overall cost of Stargate, going all the way back to 1970, run between 20 and $50 million, or about $150 million in today's money. Which may seem like a lot, but that's about the same as buying three new state-of-the-art jet fighters, so in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't very much money at all. But $150 million is a lot of money to a handful of grifters who think, hey, maybe I can just get a little piece of that. Hell, even just a million dollars is a pretty good haul for sitting at a table and pretending to see things inside of an envelope. I mean, it sure beats having a regular job, right? But even those in the private sector know that they can grift money out of people if they just sell their stuff well enough. But some people who talk about remote viewing seem to actually believe what they're saying, no matter how outlandish it is. People like Courtney Brown. His training was in political science, and he was a pioneer in using nonlinear mathematics for social research, but somewhere along the way, he lost the plot. He is now a self-proclaimed psychic who says that he has used remote viewing to see UFOs, Atlantis, Mars, Jesus, and Buddha, both of whom are really aliens, Hitler, whose mind he actually entered, he made a YouTube video about this, Uh, link in the episode notes, It's worth checking out. He's also been to other universes and other times. Furthermore, he says Adam and Eve were aliens who created humanity using genetic engineering and that many episodes of the original series of Star Trek are in fact true and were written with help from aliens. He's also skilled in something he calls yogic flying and he started the Farsight Institute in Atlanta, Georgia, which predicted the world would end in 2012, which it didn't. Despite all this, he is still a poli professor at Emory University, also in Atlanta. Now, while some of his colleagues have criticized his claims, Emory insists he has academic freedom to explore whatever he chooses to. However, he has not been tenured and remains an associate professor, even though he's been there since 1992. Science writer and president of the Skeptic Society says that Courtney Brown says things that are, quote, nothing short of spectacularly weird. Robert Baker, a professor of psychology at the University of Kentucky, thinks that Brown's assertions are the result of deep self-deception, which means he thinks that Brown believes all the stuff he says. Maybe, and you might argue, like Emery does, what's the harm? Well, sometimes there are real-world consequences to what might just seem like harmless nattering. It should come as no surprise that Brown has been on Coast to Coast AM several times, and in a couple of 1996 shows, he said that he had seen, using remote viewing, an artificial alien object under intelligent control approaching the Earth in the shadow of the Hale-Bopp comet members of the heaven's gate ufo cult slash scam heard about this and then they've said the spaceship is coming for them finally the star brothers are coming to claim us in march 1997 as the comet got closer the 39 remaining members of heaven's gate killed themselves thinking they would be reborn into pure bodies aboard the spacecraft Art Bell, host of Coast to Coast AM, has been accused of contributing to the tragedy, while others point the finger of blame squarely at Brown. Courtney Brown has written books on aliens hiding on Earth and remote viewing, but also on music and political transformation, American voting habits, and a nonlinear assessment of American politics. Sympathy Sympathy for the Devil, devil, devil. a song by the Rolling Stones, inspired in part by the novel The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov. Or we can take Aaron C. Donahue, who now goes by the last name of Hansen. His father was James Donahue, uh, who has a complicated mythology that combines Judeo-Christian beliefs with aliens. James Donahue said that the angels talked about in the Bible are really bat-like aliens who come from a planet around a star in the constellation of Orion, Originally, but now, live full-time in spaceships that are near the Earth. These bat creatures' goal is to control humanity. Now, other aliens have also visited us, like the Anunnaki and others. Both father and son say that they have been taken by aliens in the past, in Aaron's case, in 1973, just when he started puberty. In 1997, Father James brought his family to the Hopi Reservation in Arizona, where he tried to convince the tribal elders that his son Aaron was the Pahana, the lost white brother who left the Hopi at the beginning of the Fourth World, but who it is predicted will return and usher in the new Fifth World. With Dad going around saying things like this, it's no wonder that Aaron Donahue, now Hanson, is a bit full of himself. Hansen has expanded on his father's mythology. He says the bat aliens perverted the true teachings of Jesus that all visions and visitations peoples have are really them trying to trick humans into believing that they are gods. These aliens are, quote, four-dimensional parasites with a collective intelligence who, quote, seem involved with every major religion with the expressed purpose of influencing human sexual relations. Weirdly specific there. He also thinks that the moment a human woman is born, she becomes possessed by these beings. Also, Jews are all possessed by them, and Aaron has said that World War II only happened because Hitler had been too slow to exterminate all those Jews. He also said George W. Bush was the Antichrist, fully possessed by an angel alien, and all banks and governments are controlled by and all wars are caused by a huge psychic dragon that lives beneath the Vatican, where it is cared for. This monster is the beast of revelation and is being nurtured and protected by the papacy. (laughs) Well, that is quite a list of villains. Angels, women, Jews, Catholics, and George W. Bush. All evil. And, Since what we think of as angels are actually malevolent, it stands to reason that what we think of as demons are in fact benevolent. Yep, that's right. Lucifer created humans by uplifting primates and is actually the good guy in the story. Now, Aaron was a big fan of L. Ron Hubbard's Scientology and was once a member of the Ordo Templi Orientis for a while, but then he split off to create his own cult, which he named the Luciferian Order. One important part of his movement is the Eleven Earthly Queens of Lucifer. These are women he lures into the cult and then has them cut all ties with their families. He and his male followers, including his father, subject these women to mental, emotional and physical abuse while trying to purge them of their bat-alien infestations and awaken their natural human telepathic powers. These women must become totally subservient to men in order to become one of the primary eleven. Many of the families of these women file missing persons reports and try and get their daughters back, but Aaron thwarts them at every turn, brainwashing the women and even resorting to death threats against family members who are too persistent. Now, Since Aaron thought George W. Bush was the Antichrist, needless to say, he really liked Saddam Hussein, Bush's foe. After Hussein was captured and the Iraqi government was set to execute him, his entire Luciferian cult started praying for Hussein's release. When that failed, Aaron Hansen started adding an extreme form of Shia Islam to his cult's mythology, telling followers to pray for the safety of the supreme leader of Iran. In recent years, he has also become far more militant, reportedly has numerous unregistered guns, and even his mother has said she thinks he is, quote, capable of murder. He's also broke, and so he constantly asks for donations. In 2005, he started a fortune-telling school called Psyomni LLC that offers all kinds of merchandise for sale, including books and CDs. The problem is, there is no merchandise. People would pay for the items and pay to have them shipped, and then nothing would ever arrive. He constantly makes efforts to remote-view the next terrorist attack, which he says he will do this for $2 million, and if he gets it right, he gets another $10 million. So far, no government has taken him up on his offer. He once remote-viewed a child being molested and tortured and drew pictures of the crimes, which he brought to police, claiming he'd found a serial killer who targets children. He said he would tell the police where the killer was in exchange for a payout. They declined since nothing he had ever given them had turned out to be true. He also developed something he calls the Practical Application of Non-Historical Data, or PAN for short, which is an improvement of and replacement for the old remote viewing, which, by the way, he's still the best at in the whole world. As one follower says in promotional materials, Aaron is the only psychic with a 100% accuracy rate. Among his predictions are that John Edwards would win the 2008 U.S. presidential election, but then when Edwards didn't get the Democratic nomination, he went and changed it to John McCain, who also didn't win. He said Mitt Romney would win in 2012 and Hillary Clinton in 2016. He changed the 2016 prediction to to Donald Trump just a few days before the election because he says he did a remote viewing of Trump, and yes, there's a video of this, and he found him to be a, quote, brilliant and heartfelt man that greatly values loyalty and has, quote, a strong neurological connection between the emotional part of his brain and his heart. So with that last-minute change, he gets one prediction right, even if his character assessment of Trump is way off base. Another idea he and his father had promoted is that, well, there are just too damn many people on Earth, so a lot of them are going to need to go. Natural disasters with high fatality rates, like the 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and resulting tsunami that killed more than 200,000 people, he called that, quote, a blessing. He especially likes it when these sorts of things happen to countries in places like Asia. He once said of Asia it is filled with, quote, nations of subhuman trogs, mudlings, and dog-eating degenerates. So, he's a racist and a white supremacist as well. He is filling up his dickhead bingo card quickly. He's also suggested using nuclear weapons against Asian and African countries would be a good thing. He also says that he personally possesses the cure for HIV but will not share it with anyone because that disease is doing good work. Wow, that's something else. But what's the connection? Here's the connection. Aaron Hansen was once a student of... Ed Dames, at Dames' company, CyTech, which he started up after leaving Project Stargate. And that is how Aaron Hansen first got into remote viewing, which he would later improve upon and perfect. Despite Hansen's increasingly outlandish claims, he and Dames have remained in contact and were even something like friends for many years. When both Hansen and Dames got Small little roles in the completely mediocre 2004 film Suspect Zero, starring Ben Kingsley, Aaron Eckhart, and carrie Ann Moss, they appeared together on a TV show in Japan as part of the promo. Hansen claimed that dames stole the money that he was supposed to get for the Japanese television appearance, and then, Dames pressured the filmmakers to cut all of Hansen's scenes, as well as make changes to the main part, played by Ben Kingsley, which Hansen says is actually based on him. So, Hansen placed a curse on both Dames and the director of the movie. That'll teach him. In 2012, Hansen threw his hat in the ring in the U.S. presidential race, running on a platform of eliminating all national borders in North America, canceling the U.S. Constitution, replacing all physical currency with a chip embedded under people's skin— moving the UN, the World Bank, and other global institutions to Iran, euthanizing all elderly people, turning off all street lamps around the world, banning all sports worldwide, and he would place several neutron bombs on the moon that could wipe out the entire human race if detonated and then give the only trigger mechanism for these bombs to Iran." Hansen's website is an unholy mess, seemingly designed by a lunatic, though he hasn't updated it in a couple of years, and he also seems to have gone dark on Twitter sometime in 2018. How much of what Hansen says and writes does he actually believe? It's hard to say. As the Encyclopedia of American Loons puts it at the end of their entry on him, quote, he might be joking, but if he is, the joke runs very, very deep. Seriously deranged. So, the Soviets built on mystical-type work done by the Nazis, who'd taken their cue from 19th-century spiritualists, and when that didn't go anywhere, they let spread disinformation that maybe they were having some successes, so the Americans promptly jumped on board. And thus, a 25-year project was started that yielded no actionable intelligence and no results that could be replicated anywhere. Along the way, Project Stargate attracted deluded oddballs, megalomaniacal racists, and outright scammers, who then went on to do other things things, some harmless and some not so harmless. It seems pretty clear that, despite how goofy some of their experiments were, that if humans really did have ESP abilities, something would have legitimately showed up in 25 years. But they didn't. And so, you know, draw your own conclusions.
1: Thank you for visiting The conspiracy. Clearing house. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.